Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you to the guests for joining me. Thank you to all viewers for joining. Um, we'll just jump into it. So my name is Stefan Delavo, the president of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance. We basically push blockchain adoption in the Caribbean, mainly through education and public policy. Um, and I will introduce my lovely guests. Um, we'll start with Dr. P. Jillian Bethel. Give me a second. Actually, Jillian, do you want to start by saying hi and kind of giving a quick intro? Sure. Hey, hello world. Hello, Caribbean Blockchain Alliance people. Um, hello, um, our, our crypto crazies, um, which I like to call them. I'm Jillian Bethel. I am the CEO of Island Bit, which is based in the Bahamas. Um, we are a um, crypto startup. We um, provide access to cryptocurrencies for people in the Bahamas with the intention of expanding our services regionally um, within the Caribbean. Um, we have some huge plans on the horizon, um, but for now, um, it's just um, a two-prong approach to adoption, which is giving people access and educating people about cryptocurrencies. So yeah, that's me. Excellent stuff. Now we have Adela, Adela Talon Forster. She is currently in St. Lucia. Adela, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Hi, hi. Uh, my name is Adela Tula Forster, and I am, uh, I guess, legal professional in crypto space and also an entrepreneur. I have uh, been involved in digital currencies since 2001. I'm absolutely obsessed with uh, financial inclusion, and that's been the focus of my work now for over 20 years, uh, or just about 20 years, I suppose. And I have <laughs> I got into Bitcoin space in about 2010, and I have been there ever since uh, in the legal field and as an entrepreneur till now. Awesome. So Adele is actually a pre-Bitcoin OG. Uh, she she worked with uh, gold black currencies and gold exchanges, and like she said, in 2001. Um, so today we're pretty much going to talk about Bitcoin adoption and access. So typically we, you know, our speaker series, our AMA series, we focus on blockchain use cases, the practicality of them, how they can be used to basically for public and private sectors. But we wanted to go back to basics for this and just talk about, you know, the original use case, Bitcoin, and how do we get Bitcoin in the hands of the people? So for the people that do kind of follow this space, we all know, we all have all been seeing, you know, the Michael Saylors and, and the large companies and the large banks really push on to Bitcoin as of late, um, which is great in, in the sense that, you know, it adds that validation. It shows that, you know, more people are taking it seriously. But at the same time, we can't forget, you know, the original purpose of this whole space, which is, you know, banking the unbanked and providing people opportunities to, well, just alternatives, really. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about how do we make sure that the everyday person, the layman can access, uh, these technologies. Um, so I'll probably, I'll, I'll actually just start off with the question of why is Bitcoin important to you guys? Why do you feel that it's necessary for people to use, to understand, to maybe have some, um, and just the question 
as a digital asset. Uh, Adela, let's start with you, if you want to talk about that. Sure. So uh, Bitcoin is an, a peer-to-peer, open-source digital currency. And the thing that makes it the most unique, and I think probably the most important innovation in this century, is that is it is the world's first completely decentralized currency. And that is, that is just, it's not just important because it's an important piece of innovation. It is so much so important that because it is the first time that a person can actually hold on to their store of value without permission, uh, without trust, without an intermediary and can transact with another person seamlessly and frictionlessly. And so do I think it, it is the end all of that sort of technology? Probably not, but it is the first and most important leap. Do I think it's an asset or store of value? I mean, we could probably sit here and argue all day because this is completely undecided. And as you know, there's a lot of back and forth about this, but a store of value means that the asset or commodity or the currency is capable of retaining value over time or increasing in value. So you think typically like gold or silver, and there is definitely that expectation of, of growth over time. And whilst I don't have the monetary economics to back up my opinions, these are opinions um, as hard fact, I believe that what we've seen historically, uh, Bitcoin has acted as a safe haven asset. So in times of unrest and turmoil, people have used it to hedge against currency inflation and other disasters in traditional markets. So I, I would say the best use case example is like Venezuela, for example. And I read an article that described it as uh, no other economy facing hyperinflation has come near to Venezuela in terms of, of uh, activity uh, on peer-to-peer -peer crypto exchanges. And that is just from information collected on Coindance uh, from local Bitcoins and Paxful use. So, I mean, that, that's something to really think about. Like when your economy is failing, that this asset is somehow thriving. And these are the reasons that we need to kind of uh, look at, we need to look at the why, like why does, why does that happen? Exactly. Just, uh, I, I like the way you put that too, because it's, you know, a part of a total macroeconomic uh, foundation or outlook and understanding where Bitcoin sits in all of that is very important in, in the sense of not just country by country, but also globally. Um, Jillian, do you want to jump in and add to that? Yeah, sure. So one of my first, um, one of the first uh, times I really interacted with Bitcoin was just watch, watching somebody else use it while I was uh, traveling. And um, the borderless and open open source nature of cryptocurrencies is what really attracted me to it. I like the fact that, you know, you can you can have this asset. And at the time when I saw it, it was in Europe. Somebody was actually paying for something in Europe. Um, the borderless nature of it is something that, you know, when, when you start to think that, you know, you're going to be traveling around from different countries and and almost everywhere I stopped, I think I did Hong Kong, uh, the Netherlands and, and Denmark, which was weird because in Denmark, uh, I didn't think they were so pro crypto, but here, here it was, it was the first time I saw somebody actually using crypto. And I just immediately went, well, this is an asset that 
that doesn't need, need a middleman. This is something that I can just take and use everywhere. And so that was that was the, the, the immediate thing. And then when you start to realize that, hey, I could just use this thing. I have no, um, no uh, personal links to my information. And the fact that, you know, it's anonymous or somewhat anonymous um, and the prospects of reaching the unbanked community, that was definitely something that appealed to me um, in, in, my, in my travels and, and my desire to be back in the Bahamas. Um, so, so Bitcoin is an asset. Um, the importance lies in all of these things. Just now we talked about, uh, well, Adela talked about the store of value. Um, so beyond the borderless nature of it, the store of value part of it um, is, is huge. When we start to look at the history of money and see how it really fits into the history of money, there's pretty much no denying its inherent value as a store of value. And, um, and I think these, these few things, um, banking the unbanked community, the borderless nature of it, um, um, the, the, the huge store of value that it is, are things that when they're fully understand by, you know, the general population, um, then these are things that really, really lead to adoption. Um, I know we're going to talk about some regulatory things later, um, but but yeah, these these are the things that immediately just stood out to me about about crypto and and being an island. But of course, I've learned a lot more <laughs> trying to do some of the things that we do, um, and and it points a lot more at that point to the importance of. Bitcoin as a digital asset, as opposed to some of the other crypto assets that are out there. Um, and Stefan, I know, I know, I, I bring this up all the time, and it seems a little bit amateur in the crypto space. But when you start to talk about, um, when you start to talk about Satoshi and go like, oh, like, you know, um, the fact that he made this thing um, unknown, like he made the origin, uh, the origins of this thing unknown, is actually very, very important when it comes to regulatory things. So. That's the that's that's one of the big importances of Bitcoin when it comes to the regulatory side of it, but we'll get to that in a, in a bit. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Can I just jump in and ask a question, Jillian? Yeah, sure. Do you, do you think Bitcoin has inherent value? Well, I think yeah, the the tech behind it and the way the you know, when we start to look at, you know, why, why gold had value, I mean, gold could have been a shiny rock that, you know, people like, and this is shiny technology that people like. Um, I think, I think there's value in, in, in that. I feel like there's a follow-up. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm just asking because yeah. it, this is such a debatable, uh, yeah. it's I mean, a point of, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a great store of value. Um, and I think in the last, I think through COVID, everyone's, there's been so many op-eds, there's so, been so many just basic market movements that, that prove that people don't mind just taking their, their value and storing it, um, storing it in this, uh, in this asset. Yeah, I like that. I, I kind of take the economist position that Everything, you know, everything has value and nothing has value at the same time. Value is total, uh, totally a social construct, right? So, well, I, I think when you when you think about stores of value, like store of value, you think uh, you think long lifespan and a perpetual demand that makes that asset less yeah. risky. And whilst I, 
I, I don't want to say that it doesn't have inherent value because I don't know. I, it's something I cannot, you know, opine on as a yes or a no. It's just not a binary thing for me. But I think what I'm trying to, to, to move toward is that it, without that long lifespan, I, I just, I, I can't, we can't tell, can we? And again, so I'm saying it's, it's still too early to tell, basically. Yeah, yeah. I do. I think it is. Yes, I'm. I, you know, I used to be <laughs> a maximalist for many years. I'm first one to say yes. Bitcoin has inherent value, but I, yeah. I'm just going to say like these things are somewhat uncertain. And then seeing with like full amount of certainty and being binary and saying that Bitcoin does have inherent value is, mm. you know, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, um, and there, truthfully, it's a question that you know won't be answered this year. It'll it'll, it'll be much later. Yeah. So, right. uh, sorry, I got a little bit distracted because I know I know my internet was going in and out. But I, I did hear about the the question right. of longevity. And and here's the thing. Um, yeah, Bitcoin's longevity is pretty much dependent on technology. When computers become faster, when when you know, cell phones become obsolete, who knows, then, then there may be something else that makes a lot more sense. Um, the truth is, I think there were things that made a lot more sense um, than gold for a while. Actually, I can't think of anything, but I'm sure something exists, right? <laughs> but um, for a while, there may have been something that, and let's just hypothesize uh, here, that there may have been something that would have had a better store of value than, than gold. I have no idea. But if that was the case, the thing is, we all know that all of these stores of value that we, we kind of base currencies on, um, as, as long as they're solid enough to be maintained for enough time, um, they persist. And so if we, if we think on that scale, I mean, Honestly, if we if we think about the perspective that Della just gave, maybe maybe Bitcoin doesn't have that much longevity. I mean, definitely it's gonna have, it's gonna be here for my lifetime, so I'm gonna use it. But but after a while, I mean, of course, it may not last as long as maybe gold did, but it, it, it because it is dependent on technology, and technology is gonna advance. So it's it's a good perspective to actually think about Adela. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gold has been regarded as the sort of ultimate a safe haven asset, you know, because it's, uh, I guess you, you, you hit it on the head. You were like, it's shiny and people like it. You know, people like shiny things and we've somehow attached value to this very shiny thing where to the point where, you know, entire currencies are like backed by this shiny thing, you know, uh, and its store value does not exacerbate economic crisis through um, negative feedback effects. And so if we, whether we're going to see that with Bitcoin, I think it's just going to be a matter of time, you know? Absolutely. Uh, do I hope yeah. the answer and I mean, is yes. To be, uh, <laughs> the, the world is getting crazier and crazier, so. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, know we're, we're, I think we're all having a little bit of inundations there, but we will persevere. Um, so just to kind of, well, to expand on that, but also go into the question of what this means, if it is important. Um, and of course, like I said earlier, the, the idea at the beginning was 
very, very focused on reaching them by push that in a larger question of, you know, the access and the point of like the points of entry. Um, and actually Adela, if we could kind of combine that with the few years back. I'm sorry, you broke up a bit. Ah, sorry. No, I was saying um, to touch on the point of access and reaching the unbanked, I actually wanted to talk to wonder if you could bring up the BitDrop uh, project from a few years back. Yeah, so whilst I was not involved with the BitDrop uh, personally, I do know the principles behind the BitDrop. And I, I don't know if you guys remember Coinapult. Uh, that would have been, uh, yeah. I think, yeah, Eric Miller, uh, Ira Miller. Uh, yeah. yeah, Eric Voorhees was probably involved in that project. Don't quote me on this. Uh, the College Cryptocurrency Network. That's Jeremy Gardner. You know? Um, so the, the, the point of it was to, it was just an experiment for them. They wanted to see what dropping Bitcoin on a population where that was previously uh, untested uh, to see what happened. And they... They chose a very symbolic day, Pi Day, to do that. Uh, that would be May the 14th. Um, and so the whole, the, mecha the mechanics behind it was that they would send a text to everybody on, on island, 70,000 people with a cell phone, and the person could opt in or out and receive, to receive $26 worth of Bitcoin to spend on the day of the party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was a great idea. I, I, you know, I worked with Ira on, on a product, project in Panama called Radix, which would be a, a, a legal code repository uh, for smart contracts. And, you know, he's extremely, nice. extremely astute guy. Uh, the bit drop, you know, it is possible to be too early to do something. And I think that was yeah, one of sure. those things. Ultimately, didn't go through. They didn't get approval, you know, because the government was probably like WTF, right? We don't know anything about this. No, it's a hard, hard no. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my uh, that's my take on the bit drop right there. But it would have been cool. I'll tell you that. Could have been Sitting cool. Could have been cool. I don't remember exactly what the price of Bitcoin was at the time, but I imagine that if everybody in Dominica seventy thousand people got opted in to receive, you know, $26 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, that could have been very good for them. However, I do believe there might have been people on the periphery going like, wow, what a great opportunity to liquidate a lot of Bitcoin and hedge on its future increase, price increase. Yeah. I was in the crypto. It would have been very interesting to see the, you know, what came that, was, that was my first thought. My first thought when I when I heard about the bit drop, I was sitting there in my I was in uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. at the time. And I was I just gotten off a call with Jeremy at the time. And I, I remember thinking, oh, wow, need to get a BTM down there like ASAP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Missed opportunities, right? That actually yeah. reminds me of um, 
there was a, I believe it was 2016, there was a paper written by two central bankers in Barbados. One is Jeremy Stephen, who you may know. Um, but the idea was basically, uh, as a central bank, we should hold some Bitcoin in terms of our reserves, not even a, a crazy amount, just a decent amount. And, you know, if they had done that, because um, they wrote the paper, it actually got pretty well uh, known. And I think that the central bank just decided not to do it. But the country would have, Barbados would have been in a very different, you know, reserve or, or fiscal position if that were to be the case. But I, I think it's just, it just shows the importance of, well, one on our side, just making sure people are educated in terms of what yeah. these things are and why they're important. And then on the other side, uh, in terms of like governments, uh, just be a bit more open and a bit more, uh, a bit less conservative in terms of staying away from, you know, certain things. But you know, I, I understand that, that that level of risk aversion. Um, I, I certainly do, especially sure. when you come from a certain uh, experience. Uh, you sort of tend to be more conservative and less, you know, GameStop in your approach to things. <laughs> uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. This is a story of the ages. My doctor that I've been going to in the US for uh, almost a decade, every time I go, we talk for, we talk crypto for about an hour and do like doctor stuff for, you know, about five minutes. And every single time he tells me, man, you know what? If I had accepted crypto last time you told me to, I would have been good. And so, <laughs> the joke the running joke is like okay well next time we're gonna just talk about you know how you should have accepted crypto the last time because i offered to set him up i was like listen i will help you set up a wallet and figure it out and get it done and every time he's so remorseful he's like man i've been following the price and boy just lost out so bad <laughs> yeah so i think there's a lot of that from you know your doctor's office to your your central banks, man, and your institutional banks down the street. Yeah. From retail institutions. Yeah, yeah. Jillian, uh, you're, you want to talk about, um, I guess just because obviously, you know, Island Bit does a, uh, Bitcoin ATMs or BTMs as we call them. Uh, do you want to talk more about, you know, the idea behind that and also you know, why you think those are important. Yeah, sure. Uh, I wasn't waiting for a Bitcoin airdrop. I was throwing this in people's faces and saying, yo, this is what it is. Y'all go buy this thing. Y'all come here, be curious about these very good looking machines and just mess around with it, play around with it. And if everybody had, when we launched, when Bitcoin was around $9,200, they might be really happy right now. Um, but yeah, so Bitcoin ATM. So just now you guys talked about, you know, the, the bit drop and, and you know, the, some things may be too early. And I think for, for things like that, um, because it's so speculative, it may be too early for a government to, to really adopt the idea. Or it may, I mean, they have to be so responsible with things. But at this point, it's 2020, 2021. And everyone's been talking about crypto for the last, I don't know how, how, how many years in the Caribbean itself. Um, 
the ideas behind crypto and crypto ATM specifically have been in front of the central bank since at least 2018 when a, a, another person tried to launch at least one ATM back then. So, so it's been there. And so when I think about somebody else coming to, you know, the central bank or coming to the community or, or anyone and saying, hey, now it's time to like buy crypto, there really should be no hesitation. If somebody were to go and try to do this bit drop, I don't think they're going to do, they, they're still going to do $26. <laughs> they're still going to have to do $26, but um, I don't think it's going to be as significant anymore. But if somebody were to go to Dominica right now and, and attempt to do this bit drop, there should be no, um, no hindrance, right? Because we're at a point now where hedge funds, institutional investors, um, institutions themselves, they're adopting this and they're about to implement it in every facet of our financial systems um, on the back end. And, and we really need people on the front end to say, okay, like, hey, I can do this myself. These options exist for me as, uh, you know, pretty much myself. Um, I have this power in my hand. I don't need Visa to adopt certain things in order for me to be able to access it. Sorry. I love Visa to an extent, but, <laughs> um, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So with our Bitcoin ATMs and, you know, I think the community in the Bahamas knows the story very well. We launched last year with the permission of the central bank. And by the end of the year, we were asked to stop by the central bank. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was a re revision of an approach or whatever. Um, so I was able to juxtapose that experience. Why? Are you given a reason why? Girl, we, I don't know if we're going to get into it. Um, the reason why was because cryptocurrencies were deemed a foreign asset. The thing is, they were deemed a foreign asset when we started, but we were given the go-ahead. So why the go-ahead initially and, and the stop later, I'm not sure. But hey, I was able to take that experience and really juxtapose it against experiences that I had in China. We didn't talk about it in my intro, but I, I actually I lived in China for 13, almost 14 years. Um, and it's where I was introduced to blockchain technology. And I want to talk a little bit about that because it was during uh, research um, medical research that I was introduced to blockchain technology and it was it was an option or it was a presentation from a, a research fellow who was trying to convince our research group to convince other research groups to store data on the blockchain and since we were all um, basically we spent a lot of time contacting other hospitals to get their data sets right so the whole idea was to store store information about the data sets on the blockchain and then be able to pay those hospitals for their data sets um, easily. So if you imagine a searchable database, maybe a smart contract back then, I have no idea how they intended to do it. And I haven't looked back at it for a really long time. And it was, it, it was presented in Mandarin. So I'm not even sure I fully understood it, but um, thinking back on it now, I, I think I understand it. But the whole idea was to have this this database of data sets that was searchable and then you would be able to basically um, pay pay the hospitals who own the data sets or the, the research groups who own the data sets um, in cryptocurrency um, for using their data sets right which was already that process without blockchain technology was very cumbersome and time consuming for us and then 
And then there were the logistics of getting the actual CDs of data sets, right? Which is another story. But that was given a hard halt, you know? It was given a hard halt in an environment where you didn't really need to use Bitcoin to, to pay it. But the blockchain aspect of it was great. You could have used WeChat or Alipay or any of the services that, that existed in China to do the payment side of it. But it was given a huge halt just because it was blockchain and nobody really understood it. I'm sure now, <laughs> if they were to go and dig in their archives and say, you know, can we use this as a solution for what we intend to do now or what, we're, what we've been trying to do, it's the obvious solution. And when we take that and bring it back to Bitcoin itself, um, and we start to look at some of the things, especially in our Caribbean economies that happen, like, like, you know, sending money out of the Bahamas to the US and having to pay the exchange rate, having to pay the fees to a bank, when, you know, so many places in the US already accept cryptocurrency, it then becomes the obvious answer. And so, and so the Bitcoin ATMs, yes, I know we're supposed to be talking about that as a point of entry and a point of access, but more than somebody being able to attain Bitcoin, that was put in place to throw the concept in people's faces just so they can get curious. So then Islandbit can do more things that he wants to do later, of course. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's my experience is, uh, that's my experience with that. Like, you know, don't block something that quickly because it may be a solution very soon. And then the other part is, you know, don't, I mean, we're going to put the solution in people's faces so they can understand what the solution is. Yeah. That was a mouthful. No, that was great. And to that same point of, you know, not blocking, um, especially especially now with, I think, every Caribbean country is kind of in a rough spot, uh, since we're mostly based on tourism, now is, is more important than ever that we kind of not just embrace new technology, but at least, you know, be open in terms of new ideas, new startups, things like that, because uh, that could... Because any any at this point any startup can end up being you know the lifeblood of any Caribbean country right now, so I think that's really important. Um, and also, Jillian, to to add, I guess to ask you one other question. Um, given, I mean, given you know in terms of operation, what what do you think is the outside of regulation? What's that? What do you think is the biggest barrier? Uh, given you know, people were buying and people were using it and whatnot. What do you think is the biggest barrier to adoption currently on that same front? Sorry, sure. So I don't know if this is a result of uh, the current situation with the pandemic and everything, but, you know, a huge barrier, um, and I'm going to get to education after this because I know that would be the obvious answer. But a huge barrier is actually people trying trying to get people over the hump of the get rich quick scheme, right? Um, when we start to talk about uh, talk to um, people who are just getting to understand crypto, they're still very much in the mindset or the mind frame of this can help me get rich very very quickly, or this or or the polar opposite of it. Um, this must be a scheme. This must be a scam. Unfortunately, we are still in that space, like still very much in that space here in the Bahamas. I don't know how it is 
otherwise, but, and, and this is my advice to anybody <laughs> who, who may feel this way, like watch C-SPAN for a day and see if they talk about cryptocurrency. If they talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it's probably legit. Whatever they talk about on C-SPAN is probably a legit with the exception of, you know, central banks and all of that. They're, they're the false things. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe. <laughs> um, but, you know, the big, um, the, the big hump that I'm finding that we have to get over for people to really adopt uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for what they are, especially Bitcoin uh, and what they can offer to people is that hump of a get rich quick scheme. The other part of it is all education, but and truthfully, they go hand in hand. Um, you get the education about the cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, then you no longer see the scam or see what you think or what you perceive to be a scam. You get the education, you, do, you no longer think about it as a get rich quick scheme. You start to see it as a financial tool. Um, you get the education and you're not immediately looking for an exchange to try to trade and 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 maybe lose all your money on. So, so education is the big part, but the, the, the smaller part of education is this big hump of the get rich quick scheme and all of that stuff that's associated with it. That's a great answer. Adele, I, I wanna ask you the same thing actually. What do you think the biggest barrier is uh, to just general adoption in the Caribbean? I think it's a, it's a few things. Um, I think it's a fear of change. I think it's ignorance. Uh, I think there's a lack of turnkey solutions. So there's barriers to entry. I think it's uncertainty. And I, I think back to my first point, which is that fear of change and also just fear generally. A lot of people perceive this whole Bitcoin thing to be a bubble. And you know, technically a bubble is a situation where price where the price of an asset exceeds its fundamental value. And again, it goes back to that whole store value um, back and forth that we had earlier. And you know, a lot of people are just very conservative down here in terms of their investment strategies and choices. And so if they perceive that it's some sort of bubble, you know, they keep waiting it out and so on, they're, they're sort of waiting for more and more time to pass and more adoption to happen so they can feel more comfortable with it. Uh, unfortunately, and this is something that we, we sort of always knew is that you know the, the big banks and the big conglomerates would get in and gobble us up, um, you know, Visa and PayPal and, mm -hmm. and, and, and. Um, I think now there's a lot more curiosity than there, there was uh, say a decade ago a decade ago, there, there was no curiosity about it. Now, 2014 is when things sort of picking up, start, started picking up and people started looking into it and reaching out. Um, but you know, only, only time can tell. And I'm back to Jillian's point. I think th that education, we need to start showing people that it's, it's an, a tool. It's a tool and it's also an alternative to the traditional uh, financial system. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I like to, I know it's annoying, but I like to tell people, well, you know, it's not even, don't even think of it as a currency, think of it as a, a key to a blockchain because blockchain is really the, and it's, you're not going to find better, you know, security and, and auditability basically in, in 
many things. So I like the idea of always making sure those points are connected where you're not just thinking of it as an asset or an investment. It's like, no, it, it's the blockchain. It's Bitcoin's blockchain or whatever other crypto's blockchain that you know provides the value that it has. And that's tied to its security. That's tied to its censorship resistance, its auditability and all those things. So yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. Immutability. And, uh, you know, um, I, so I think, I, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was saying that whilst I, you know, I, I'm a big firm believer in the usefulness of such, you know, um, transparency on the Bitcoin blockchain, I am a huge advocate for privacy coins as well as just my, you know, personal fundamental uh, political values. So they have their uses. And so Bitcoin does have its uses as well. Exactly. Crickets. <laughs> no, no, 100%. Everybody's afraid to love privacy coins as well, but I do love On a personal coins. level, I'm there. On a professional level, I can't be. <laughs> uh, no, I, that's Fair certainly enough. something that I, that I, can, I completely um, understand. And I think, you know, when, when, so at the inception of, Monero, for example, you know, I was very secretive about my fascination with that. And now I, I just have the hold my head up high sort of stance on the whole matter. Yeah, I think it's dangerous um, if the, you know, if we fall into like a surveillance state system like, you know, China, no offense to the Chinese at all. But um, I think that we've gotten so very comfortable with this excessive KYC that's going on right now in the traditional uh, banking world that it's becoming more and more normal and more and more excessive as well. Yeah, and I, I don't worry, Adela. We're we're no, I'm so <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like sliding down into like okay. I'm no, <laughs> but actually on that point, on that point, and this is halfway a shameless plug but also a, a, a search for I'm conversations and, and, and trying to figure out where we stand or where we can stand on this. So um, we're talking about adoption and, and here's the shameless plug. Islandbit intends to do a lot of things that facilitate adoption beyond putting ATMs out there and educating people. We want to make the most usable products for Bahamian and, and Caribbean people for them to easily realize that it's a great choice, right? Um, some, something that becomes a no-brainer. But now we're talking about privacy coins and, 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 and I, I feel like we're going to get into a conversation about regulation, right? We're talking about these things. We're talking about KYC. Like, how do you guys envision, and I'm sorry for taking the moderator stance, Stefan, but how do you guys envision a, a hybrid world where um, you know, a company like Islandbit goes and creates these products for people to use when we have to live in this world where KYC is the expectation. Like, where where's the bridge? Like, how does that work? I mean, this is far off from privacy coins because that's almost a no-go at this point. But how, how do you guys see that working? Give me some advice. I mean, in terms of like the future of KYC and AML and the interaction between that well, and right. crypto, yeah. basically. Right. AML is one thing. A A AML is arguably stronger with when it comes to, to any blockchain uh, protocols. But 
Um, when it comes to this whole need for KYC in an environment where, where there's anonymity, how do we facilitate adoption um, in this environment? I mean, it is my intention to fully increase adoption, to totally increase adoption through introducing all of these new products in a system where the introduction of any financial products requires strict KYC and AML. Like, how, how do we balance this stuff out? I think we balance it out by starting to think about things realistically. And I always like to give the cash example. Um, is anybody still the fridge online or something from their house? And you've got to meet some guys somewhere and give them some cash. Like, uh, really, are you KYCing that guy who's reached out? He's called Todd9099 at, let's say, Yahoo <laughs> for, for humor's sake, you know? And uh, that's, that's all you know about this guy. And this guy hands you like $3,500 for a fridge. Are you KYCing him? What is this process? I'm just saying that these are the sort of fundamental examples that we have to think about in using real world applications. Will we get to a point where, you know, cash, which is as anonymous as you can get, really. It's more anonymous than privacy coin in so many ways when you think about it, you know. Where you're meeting Tom to for Tom to buy a fridge, and you have to KYC Tom and somehow send that into a regulator. Everybody is deemed a financial institution. It is ridiculous, and I think once we start thinking about it in real real life and real world terms, that's when the ridicule itself becomes apparent. Yeah. So so and this. And is I think that a... that's even in terms of the reason because. You know, we still use cash more than everything else. And there's literally no KYC involving cash at all. So do you want to go backwards or forwards is basically the question. Not yeah. Jillian, sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 no worries. So but but what Adala was saying, it's it's a real it 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 puts the it zooms in on what the balance actually is. So when she says that, um, we're looking at a situation and I, I I've I've never bought or done anything on eBay. For the reason that I feel like I can't trust the person, right? So what happens is you create an institution like, or you create a, a company like Islandbed, where somebody feels this is something that's regulated and this is something that has a lot more trust, right? So then it becomes that balance of trust in a company versus this kind of retail thing, and and obviously there are hard lines. You can create Say trust. Rating, you can create trust of rating systems. For example, local bitcoins, whom I worked for for many years, uh, had that rating system. So you, sure. from the jump, you know, could gauge whether you wanted to trust a seller with a forty percent <laughs> or ninety nine percent. Yeah, but even even then, even then, there becomes this challenge of. Um, where do the products come from? I'm going to go buy this thing from you. And I trust that you're a good seller because, you know, the rating system says that, but how do I know that, I mean, this is just an example, but how do I know that it's not ill-gotten goods? How do I know that at some point I'm not going to get in trouble for receiving some goods, right? That are, that are ill-gotten. So there has to be, and, and I mean, I promise you, this is my professional voice because I think Stefan knows I'm quite the rebel, right? <laughs> um, but how do you instill confidence in 
confidence among, among retail people who are conditioned to trust because of regulation. I mean, maybe the, maybe the result is that, maybe the result or, or the solution is that we try to, we kind of break them down from that and say, hey, here, here is the rating system. This is really all you need. Maybe we need to break them out of that mold of needing all of this, this, these things that the three of us probably think are ridiculous. Like maybe we need to break them out of that mold so that we get to the, them to that point of being able to trust um, in the way that we trust peer-to-peer -peer systems. I, I don't know. I mean, this is something, this is something where I think the, the world entirely because of Bitcoin and, and the whole the whole crypto space, I think we're still very much trying to find that balance. I frankly think that's where a lot of volatility comes from in, in the prices. But 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 that that's actually what this whole conversation is about. Where is that balance and when is that balance going to really settle down? Yeah. I feel like we could put in the same room and we'll solve all, all the problems within like two hours. <laughs> but I think this is great and I think it's okay not to have binary answers for, for this. I, I, I think a lot of this stuff is, uh, these are topics and um, ideas that we need to keep talking about because that's the only way that we're going to get to somewhere better than where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I know time coming up, we have about 10 minutes. I just want to look at this YouTube live for a second and look for any questions. And also for, for any watching, if you have any more questions, definitely add them up. Um, let me see. First question is from Sam Campbell. Do you guys see any other cryptocurrency becoming bigger than Bitcoin? Not sure if, you know, price-wise or longevity or use case, but I'll leave that up to you guys' discretion. If that sounds like a, I don't know. I know a Sammy Campbell. If that's a Bahamian Sammy Campbell, tell him look out for something from Island Bit real quick. <laughs> okay, shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. I don't know, man. Yeah, we, you don't know. S sorry, Adela, but you know, for right now, Bitcoin has been solid. Nothing's been more solid than Bitcoin. But like we say, tech may advance. What things may happen in the future, but for right now, I mean, Bitcoin's been pretty solid and it's undeniable. If we're talking about price, yeah, Wi-Fi did its thing and a couple other of them, but when we're talking about a solid use case, solid overall points, Bitcoin's got it. This is not oh. investment advice. This is not. <laughs> uh, you know, to a wise man once said, I throw my hands up in the air sometimes. <laughs> That's how I feel about this. <laughs> Absolutely no idea if there's going to be a better protocol than Bitcoin. Do I think that it's probable? Yes. Uh, mm. Do I know for a fact? No, I don't. Uh, I love XMR. I love Monero. I, I do. I do. I think it, uh, that ring signature technology, man, I think it's kind of superior to BTC at the moment, but it depends on what, you, again, depends on what you're using the asset for. It depends on what you're using the currency right. for. You know? Right. And okay, depends on what's been when I when I buy stuff on certain sites, I use PayPal, and some of them I use Bitcoin, and sometimes I use my credit card, and sometimes I use someone else. It's it's really good to have choice, and I think that's another thing that should be introduced 
you know, when we're talking about people's perception right. of what this thing is, is that it is an alternative, it is choice, and choice is ultimately powerful. And that's an excellent point, because I think, just like you said, optionality is one of the biggest things you could have as, a, as an individual, as a society, the ability to, you know, between one thing or the other, you know, whatever will last regardless it's definitely important to you know currency prices or whatever uh for those that read if you're very interested in bitcoin read the bitcoin white paper or if you're interested in monero read the monero white paper like if, if hey but don't publish it on your site because you did a white paper. Fred, Fred um, Knight might send you a nasty litter true story <laughs> you may assume actually after that i i put I put the Bitcoin white paper on CBS site, so it's there. So come, come, come for me, Greg. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, like actually look more into the protocols and how these things work. Um, I'm gonna look for any other questions. Uh, this is this is a access question. What um, a crossable? I don't know if I pronounced that right. But what can we do when banks are restricting purchase of crypto? That's the big question, right? Wait, Fight what? for your rights. Wait, what? Can you can you say that again? Can you ask that again? What can we do when banks are restricting purchase of crypto? Give them the middle finger and buy it anyways with cash from a guy down the street that you would sell your refrigerator to. Uh, listen, I'm a really huge advocate for peer-to-peer -peer markets. I'm really sorry that I have to be so outspoken about this, but I am. And I, I think that banks should not have a say in what you should and shouldn't do. I am not sure what at what point the regulators and the banks stopped having a, a clear distinction between them, but it's it's a problem when you cannot, when you just don't know where the, the regulators stop and the banks begin. And for a bank to mandate uh, the activity of uh, free autonomous people to me is just something that makes my blood boil. Yeah, and frankly, I mean, we—if we look at history, we we can we can tell that you know, banks are predicated on on this antiquated currency. They have their uses. They have their uses. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I think banks have their uses in our society. They do. Uh, use uh, and overstepping your boundaries, those are two different things. So uh, to that person, this is not legal mm -hmm. advice. This is not advice. But personally, if the bank told me not to do something, then I would just uh, very confidently ignore them if it had nothing to do with their platform, of course. Yeah. Um, we, we have to understand that, you know, cryptocurrencies kind of take away from the whole system of, uh, of the bank. So it's a threat in, in many ways. And so we have to understand the intention there. Um, and this is us distinguishing between banks and the, well, this is me distinguishing between commercial banks and the central bank, of course. Um, you, you just have to realize where they're coming from and find your way to do it on your own. Um, of course, know what you're doing, know what you're getting into, know what you're buying, and then and then move on as though, as you should. I mean, fight for your rights. Like, ain't no way that a commercial entity could tell you what to do in terms of your own sovereign finances. You know, I don't know. Yeah, sovereign, so. Mr. Right. Well said. Yeah. 
pretty much. Um, so I think we're coming up on time. I'll give uh, another minute or two for anyone else who wants to ask a question. Um, someone says, when the banks restrict you, call Fabs. I don't know who Fabs is, but Dan says, uh, <laughs> agreed, agreed, Adela. This is why I think regulation will not stop the continued growth of crypto use adoption. Absolutely, it's it's inevitable, and it's just going to keep going higher and higher. And I think, I think this year specifically is going to be. I mean, last year for sure, but this year specifically is going to be really huge in terms of of crypto adoption in general. Yeah, um, um, you know what? Let me actually give a great example. So, so uh, you know, Islandbit was asked to stop its services. Uh, uh, I think two days before Christmas. And since then, because of what the demand was and how many people actually are interested in crypto and how many people were talking about the fact that, you know, they're not allowed to use the ATMs anymore. So many people who have crypto have popped up and started selling crypto, you know? So it's like, we, we get what the regulators points are, but it's like, you can either force us to be regulated and have everything transparent so we all know or you can force us to stop and then have everything go underground and people still do what they want to do. Wait, so, wait, wait. so wait a second. So they've essentially manipulated the market to a country <laughs> where there is an <laughs> where there's like a That was know, my reaction too. That laugh. Yeah. No, it's incredible when you when you sort of, you know, take away you strip away the authority from these institutions in your mind and you you analyze the, you know, the mandates and you, you come up on, hey, this is, this is very plausible that, look, they've completely manipulated the, the markets. Why? Hmm. Or their actions have caused this ripple effect. Right, right. And it's, it's, it's wild and it's sad because we can be taxed, other people can't be taxed. And now the, the people who regulate, they don't get the money that they, they can actually have too. So it's just like, I don't, I don't know, but we press on. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting points though. I, I, I definitely think I'm, I would love to have you guys come back uh, at a later date, just to talk more about this stuff. Um, Y'all are amazing guests. Uh, I think we're going to close up, but I just want to ask um, any, any final words from, from both of you. Let's start with Adela. My final words are to not uh, to to just remember that what is what is morally right is not necessarily what is legal. After all, slavery was legal completely, um, and to understand that Bitcoin is this amazing new and nascent technology, uh, you should do all of the research and reading on it as you possibly can, and um, don't allow others to restrict your ability to transact peer-to-peer uh, -peer without their interference. And so you need to ask yourself a question when people want to restrict that ability, like whether they do actually do have your best interests at heart or not. But ultimately, educate thyself as much as you can. Yeah. So where Adela left off is where I'm going to start. You know, educate yourself on what this thing really is. Educate yourself on what the uses of this thing really are and what the benefits are. And once you start to really understand what those things are, 
understand what your what your rights are and understand how you can use this thing so basically once you're all good with the education you decide that hey this is something that's good for me then work to get that thing you know in the same way that Adele and I guess I'm I'm, I'm ending where Adele started don't let anybody restrict you um when it comes to your rights and the things that you want I mean sure they can do that uh maybe in China but you know, if, if you're somewhere else where we're supposed to have a little bit more um, liberty, then you should go ahead and 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 demand it and 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 understand that they actually don't even know if you got it. <laughs> so so it is what it is. Educate yourself and, and get it if you want it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the regulators and people in power, they don't necessarily, there's a lot that they don't understand. So educate them as well. And that's, you know, what we're going to be doing um, especially forward. So, yeah, no, excellent points. I, I, last thing I will say, um, people are asking for your, you know, either websites or, or Twitter, um, Twitter ads. So, So I guess I'll go first. Uh, we are islandbit.co, I-S-L-A-N-D-B-I-T.co. That's our website. Um, our social media handles are islandbit242. That's Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Bitcoin Khaleesi. I hardly use Twitter. I don't really feel as if I have much to say. There's so many smart people doing that already, but I am, <laughs> I'm on Twitter, Bitcoin Khaleesi. You can reach out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Khaleesi like Game of Thrones. Uh, most people wouldn't know what that is, right? One hundred. Yeah. <laughs> First, like the Slayer Ladies, of Chains, like Slayer so of <laughs> Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, folks, thank you for joining. Guests, thank you for joining. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thanks for having us. Take Caribbean care, Blockchain. Take Appreciate care. Bye-bye. Night. Bye.